Episode 65, The Two and a Half Tribes of Israel. Once the Israelites had taken all of the land of the Amorite kings on the east side of the Jordan Valley, two and a half tribes made a request for the land so that they could settle in with their families. Welcome to the History of the Bible. In the last episode, we talked about the battle between the five tribes of the Midianites and the Israelites. This battle would end with the Israelites destroying everyone except the young girls who had not practiced cult worship through prostitution. After the soldiers came back from the battle with the Midianites, they were required to stay outside of the main Israelite camp for seven days so that they could purify themselves before coming back into the community. During the battle, the main camp of the Israelites would be staying in the plains of Moab, just on the east side of the Jordan River, the same place that they have been staying ever since they defeated the two Amorite kings. When the men of Israel came back into their camp after the week of purification, two and a half tribes have a question for Moses. The land that the Israelites had taken from the two Amorite kings was great land for pastures, land that would allow for herds to roam freely and to be fed off the land. The size of the land that was captured from these two kings was about 130 miles in distance from the Arnon River in the south, which was the border of the Moabites, all the way up to Mount Hermon in the north. In addition to the hills and the plains of grassland that would be used for raising herds, the land was also well forested, and because of the hillsides and valleys, it would make a suitable place for raising crops. So two and a half tribes would come up to Moses to ask for these lands that were just conquered by the Israelites. The tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. A half-tribe of Manasseh would be the family of one of the sons of Manasseh. His name was Machir, the son of Manasseh. All of his descendants would be the ones referred to as the half-tribe of Manasseh. These tribes would come together and present their ideas to Moses, Eleazar, and the leaders of the Israelite community. These two and a half tribes would follow the protocols that are used in other ancient diplomatic settings, meaning these procedures in which these tribes came before Moses and the leaders of the community were the traditional way for ancient cultures to use to ask for land grants. Following diplomatic protocols, the two and a half tribes asked the leaders of Israel in Numbers 32 verse 5, If we have found favor in your eyes, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. A simple request, as it may seem. However, Moses saw through what they were doing. Yes, even though the two and a half tribes did want to stay on the east side of the Jordan Valley, they were also skipping out on the responsibility to the rest of the tribes. In verse 6 of the same chapter of Numbers, Moses says, Should your fellow Israelites go to war while you sit here? 
Why do you discourage the Israelites from crossing over into the land that the Lord has given them? Moses will go on to remind the people that it was this very same attitude that brought their fathers into the wilderness to die. Rather than face the giants in their lives, the Israelites left the responsibility at the next generation. Whether the two and a half tribes were afraid of entering the promised land or not, it isn't clear. From Moses' perspective, he believes that the only reason these tribes want to stay on the east side of the Jordan Valley, an area of land that was never meant to be part of the promised land, is because of fear. Fear of what was talked about by their fathers. Because their fathers could only tell stories of what the spies found in the promised land, but nothing from what they saw, except for their one little battle with the Canaanites when the Israelites didn't want to go back into the wilderness, so they decided to attack, even though the Lord said he wasn't with them in taking the promised land anymore. This little battle turned out to be a routing or a running away of the Israelite army. Of course, these stories of the people in the promised land would have gotten bigger and bigger, as all stories naturally do, passing them on from the fathers to their sons. So Moses warns the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh that if they were to turn away from following God now, they will bring about the cause of all the Israelites returning to the wilderness and waiting for the whole generation to die, because they were unwilling to follow the Lord. So the two and a half tribes go away, and then they come back to Moses to give him their answer. In Numbers 32, verses 16 through 19, they respond to Moses by saying that they will like to go and build pens for their livestock. These type of pens that would be used to house the herds were kite-shaped stone wall structures, as they were the type of structures that have been found in ancient Middle East. In addition to building the pens for their livestock, the men of the tribes wanted to build cities for their women to live in. All while the men of these two and a half tribes would go out to war fully armed to help the rest of the Israelites to possess their inheritance. In verse 18, the tribes told Moses that they would not return home until all of the Israelites had taken their possession of the land. All the while, their women and children would live in the cities that they would build before they went over to wage war for the rest of the tribes. But because the two and a half tribes were receiving their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan Valley, they would not get anything on the west. When Moses heard this proposed idea, he was willing to take the deal with the two and a half tribes and give them the land grant that they had diplomatically asked for. Because the deal was struck, a covenant would be made. Most of the covenants that the Israelites were set out in a formula. If you do X, then you will have Y blessing. But if you do not do X, then Z curse will come to you. Very much so a blessing and a curse covenant. The blessing and the curse covenant would be this. 
if the two and a half tribes would arm themselves and go over with the other tribes of Israel to help them secure their inheritance in the promised land, then the land east of the Jordan Valley would be theirs. However, if they did not go over to help secure the land for the other tribes of Israel, they would be sinning against the Lord, and their sin would be forced to find them out. On top of this, they would lose their land grant to the land on the east side of the Jordan Valley, meaning that they would then have to take an inheritance of land within the land of Canaan, giving up the land that they are asking for in the land grant. When it says that if these tribes broke the agreement, they would be sinning against the Lord. This is impartial to them not obeying the command of the Lord to take the possession of the land of Canaan, but also it's partially based on how the covenant is set up. Within this covenant, the two and a half tribes are one party. The rest of the tribes are the other party. Moses is a mediator between the two parties or groups of people, and the Lord is the witness and grantor. So if the two and a half tribes were to break the agreement, they would be breaking the agreement that they set up before the Lord. To this agreement, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh agreed. Therefore, they began to build pens to hold their herds and cattle. The Gadites would rebuild cities with new fortifications for their families to live in. They would also settle most of the land of the kingdom of Shion. The Reubenites would rebuild the cities in the land that was located to the south of the Gadites. Thus, they would share a border. They would receive a portion of the land of the kingdom of Shion as well. Now, all of these cities would come with settlements, sometimes called villages, that surrounded the large cities. This is how often cities work. There would be one large city that had fortifications to protect against coming enemies. Around the city would be villages and settlements that people would live in, and they would only go to the city for protection from the enemies. There are other reasons that the villagers would go to the city. For example, buying and selling goods could have been done in the city. In the half-tribe of Manasseh, they would settle in the land that was north of the Gadites. This is the land of Bashan, the whole kingdom of Og. Now, there is a thought that the portion of land that the half-tribe of Manasseh asked for on the east side of the promised land was part of the original promised land. As we'll come to find out, the land that they settled on, northern Gilead, is part of the promised land. Or was it? Up until this point, the land of Canaan had been promised to Abraham, hence the name Promised Land. However, the boundaries for the Promised Land were never defined. As we'll start to look at the boundaries of the Promised Land, what's been noticed is that these exact boundaries can be found in Egyptian records from the time of Exodus. The reason that the boundaries of the land of Canaan were defined by Egyptian records is that during this time, Egypt had dominion over the land, in theory. When the exodus was happening, 
the Egyptians were struggling internally and externally, so much so that they could not prevent the Israelites from stepping into the land that was under their control. When it came to possession of the land by the Egyptians during this time, it can often be misleading. In ancient times, often, when a king would place an army garrison within boundary, they would claim possession of the whole country. To claim possession of the land, all a king would have to do is take over some of the cities on the borders and place army garrisons in the city, and complete control over that country could be claimed. Even though, in reality, it was simply a couple of cities that were captured along the border. Boundaries and borders were sometimes hard to define in ancient times. They weren't like borders today, where it is defined on a physical ground as well as on a map. If there were large landmarks, then often those would be used, things such as a river or a mountain range. But if it was through open, flat land, then the border would sometimes get lost. In the cases where the border went through open land, it would call out two landmarks on each side of the plain and pretty much draw an imaginary line from one point to another. Another way that a border could be defined is by calling out a city and saying that the surrounding region was the border. However, we need to remember that they weren't any defined boundaries as we think of boundaries today. Often, it was just an imagined line running from one landmark to another, or from one city to the next. This is what happened with the borders that the Lord gave the Israelites. In Numbers 34, the Lord gives the borders of the land of Canaan that he is giving to the Israelites. These borders would be simple landmarks being called out, along with cities, and an imaginary line would be drawn from these points. Starting with the southern border, it started at the edge of the land of Edom, at the southern tip of the Dead Sea. The southern tip of the Dead Sea was really where the borders came together. The Moabites, the Edomites, and the Israelites all converged on this point. From the southern tip of the Dead Sea, the border would continue south or southwest towards the city of Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea would be the southeast corner of the land of Israel. Here it is believed to be an oasis nearby the city. From there, the boundary would head north, northeast, along what is called the Brook of Egypt. The Brook of Egypt was a natural boundary that would be set between Egypt and the land of Canaan. The brook of Egypt would drain much of the Sinai region into the Mediterranean Sea. This would be the southern border. The west border was an easy one. It would be the Mediterranean Sea, sometimes referred to as the Great Sea. The northern boundary was to start at the Mediterranean Sea in the west. From there, it could create an imaginary line to Mount Hor heading east. This is not the same Mount Hor that Aaron died on, totally different mountain. Then it would continue north. For how long? Scholars aren't sure. 
It's believed that there was a city or an oasis on the edge of the desert that would set the boundary for the northeast corner of the land of Canaan. From there, the eastern boundary would begin. From the city or the oasis in the north, it would follow the line of the desert down to the Sea of Galilee. From there, it would follow the Jordan River that flowed from the Sea of Galilee and emptied into the Dead Sea fully enclosing the boundaries of the land that the Israelites were to conquer. However, because the two and a half tribes of Israel wanted to stay on the eastern side of the Jordan Valley, the boundaries of the land that the Israelites was to possess changed. When the borders of the land of Canaan were defined and given to the Israelites, Moses then gave charge to Eleazar and Joshua to be sure to give out the land as an inheritance to the Israelites. Then, twelve men were to be assigned to help Eleazar and Joshua, one man from each tribe who was a chief within that tribe. Once the land was taken, it would then be given to each of the tribes. Then it would be the job of the tribes to divide the land up into clans and then into families. The tribe of Levi would not have anyone to help divide up their inheritance because they are not given a portion of land to call their own. However, they were to receive cities throughout all of Israel. In total, 48 cities and the surrounding land would be given to the Levites. Again, this would be throughout all of the lands as each tribe would give up a couple of cities to be given to the Levites. In Numbers 35, verses 4 and 5, it says that the pasture lands around the towns that you give the Levites will extend a thousand cubits from the town wall. Outside of the town, measure 2,000 cubits on the east side, 2,000 on the south side, 2,000 cubits on the west side, and 2,000 cubits on the north side, with the town and the center. The surrounding land around the cities would extend a thousand cubits in all four directions. At the thousand mark, two thousand cubits would be measured, creating almost a box around the city. Each side of the box would be two thousand cubits measured one thousand cubits from the city's walls. Two thousand cubits would be just about three thousand feet or nine hundred meters. That would mean that the land that was outside of the cities that were to be used for pasture lands by the Levites was equivalent to just about a third of a square mile. As a side note, later on in Israel's history, laws were created that the farthest a person could travel on the Sabbath outside of the city was 2,000 cubits, or 3,000 feet. Now, out of those 48 cities, Six of them were to be places of refuge. These cities were to be places that people who accidentally killed someone could escape to before the Avenger of Blood could kill them. The Avenger of Blood was the closest male relative of the person that died, and it was their job to execute the one who did the killing. But if the person killed someone by accident, then they could escape to one of these cities so that they were not allowed to be killed by the Avenger of Blood. 
Unless the killer did the killing on purpose, the Avenger of Blood was not allowed to touch the person. Although, if the killer left the city and the Avenger of Blood found out, he had every right to kill the killer. This law was implemented because, one, there weren't any police departments nearby for a couple thousand years. And two, it made people think twice about killing a person. Because if someone did kill another person, they would have the dead person's family coming after them. This was part of the Israelites' judicial system. The killer had to stay in the city until the high priest died. Then, at that point, he could go home without worrying about being killed by the dead man's family member. These cities were set up so that the killer, or manslayer, as Numbers 35 calls them, was able to escape to these cities so that they could get a trial by the elders of that city. Although, if the manslayer was found guilty by the elders of the city, then the avenger of blood was allowed to kill him. In order to convict the person, there needed to be at least two witnesses. This was common practice in ancient times. Six cities in all the land of Israel were designated places for people to escape to. And it was not just the Israelites that could use these cities of refuge. Strangers and foreigners were allowed as well. These cities were set up equally in distance from each other throughout the land. Three cities on the west side of the Jordan River and three cities on the east side of the Jordan River. So the land was beginning to be divided up into separate tribes. However, there would still be much more to do when the Israelites actually took possession of the land. As the Israelites are beginning to finally go and take possession of the land that was promised to them for so long, it's time for Moses to say goodbye. So join us next time in episode 66, The Death of Moses. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile.